If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons, and to be honest, my goal is to have at least 10% or just 1 in 10 of our regular listeners supporting the show, and we have ways to go until we reach that point. So if you've been finding our work valuable and you're able to support the show starting at just $2 per month, like a simple morning's cup of tea, you can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. And thank you so much if you're already a supporter of the show. A lot of people think that security is in money. And that's what I used to think too. My goal was to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. I'm 33 now and I've got $5,000 in an envelope. That's all the money that I have, literally. I have no retirement fund, no Roth IRAs, no life insurance, like literally no financial savings beyond this envelope of cash. But I feel extremely secure. That was Rob Greenfield, an activist and humanitarian dedicated to sustainability, equality, and justice. We had Rob back on episode 98 on Green Dreamer podcast, and last year he spent an entire year growing and foraging all of his own food. So we invited him back to tell us how that went and what he learned along the way. If you aren't already familiar with his work, though, I highly encourage you to get to know him a little better after this interview through his website, robgreenfield.tv. TV, and to also explore the set of public vows that he's committed himself to at robgreenfield.tv vows. Some of those include voluntarily earning no more than the federal poverty threshold each year, donating 100% of his earnings from media to nonprofits, owning a minimal amount of stuff. In fact, all 44 items that he owns today fits in his backpack, and he doesn't have anything else stored in extra storage spaces, at his friends' or family's places, and so on. So we're going to learn his key motivations behind some of these bold decisions and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word.
We last chatted towards the end of 2018 when you were just embarking on your year of food freedom project. For our listener who may be hearing about this project or your work for the first time, what exactly is the Food Freedom Project and what compelled you to first conceptualize it and then take part in this project? Yeah, wow. I, I had no idea it was that long ago. I thought, Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> wow. I thought I had you know fully launched into it and I was already growing and foraging all my food. So good to know. Yeah, Food Freedom. The idea was I wanted to see if I could step away from our global industrial food system. I wanted to see if I could live without packaged processed foods and foods that were shipped long distances and foods that had ingredients that aren't even real food. And to go to the extreme of actually seeing if I could live off the land, as some people would say. And that for me meant growing and foraging all my food for a year. And I started November 2018. And I finished two months ago in November 2019. And it was, uh, I mean, it just it brings me so much joy thinking about the year. It was such, a, such an incredible year of, of connecting with my food. Wow. So you did it, right? You went a full year. You didn't buy anything from the grocery store. You didn't even have a drink at a bar or chocolate or any snacks or anything. <laughs> Correct. I'm writing the book right now. So I was reviewing my notes and I was looking at the I made notes of the the mistakes that I made, and I think it was day 16, I had dinner with a friend where I brought over all the ingredients to cook dinner for both of us together. We did that. I brought over my own sea salt from the ocean, my cassava that I had grown, greens, collards to make collard wraps, all the ingredients. And then afterwards, her plate, she had some leftovers and I ate it. And I forgot that she had sprinkled some of her own salt. (laughs) And so that was my first mistake. I ate probably five to 10 grains of salt from the grocery store. And the only other mistakes I made were one one loquat from somebody's tree that I, I couldn't resist in the moment. I accidentally ate a leaf of cabbage from a garden as I was walking through and not thinking that I didn't grow. And I guess I'm also sharing this because that's the extreme I was taking it. Truly not eating from other people's gardens even and not making exceptions, even having to grow my own medicine and forage my own medicine. And and um, it, went, it went well. It was challenging. But overall, I'm here on the phone with you and I made it. Yes, you're alive and you're healthy and well. How much did you know going into the project as in gardening and how much did you have? Like, did you have your own land or how did you make this all work out and learn what you needed to grow to be able to meet your nutritional needs? Well, what I didn't lack was inspiration. I had been learning for for quite a long time and there were so many inspirational people to me. One of my early inspirations was Ron Finley who is a gardener in South Florida. He's called the gangster gardener. And things he would say like growing your own food is like printing your own money. These were types of inspirational thoughts that I had in my head. But as far as actual growing experience, I had almost none. I had grown some greens, some herbs, and some tomatoes in my tiny little raised bed garden in San Diego. So when I decided I was going to do this, I decided Orlando. So I arrived in Orlando with literally just everything I own fitting in my backpack, not owning any land, and having no experience growing food in the state of Florida, almost no experience foraging. And so I was starting really, really, really from scratch at the very beginning. And I was researching how much water do you need to give to a carrot seed after you plant it? And how far apart do you plant kale 
seeds and how much sun does a garden need? I was basically figuring out the absolute basics of how to grow food. And what were some of the toughest challenges that you had to overcome to be able to stick to your goals? So obviously you made the few mistakes early on, but what else were really challenging for you? There was a lot of challenging things. You have the real aspect that it takes a lot of time. An average week was 20 to 80 hours a week in food, and it probably averaged more like the 40 to 50, maybe 60. And so lots of dedication. There's the social aspect, not being able to go over to a friend's house and just eat the food they cook, not being able to just, you know, food is at the center of so many of our social lives. So I was removing myself from a lot of the ease of, of the social life in so many ways. And that had some elements of being isolating. Convenience. If I was going on a trip, I had to make sure I brought enough food with me. Otherwise, I risked being hungry. And just, yeah, I mean, being at home at midnight with these giant piles of food that I did dehydrate or can and where all I wanted to do was be hanging out with friends. Um, one other thing, like, if I wanted to eat something, I often had to plan months in advance. I had to plant it. If I wanted a jar of peanut butter, I had to I had to plant those peanuts and fight off the squirrels and <laughs> get to the point where I could grind it and make my own peanut butter. So, you know, serious planning for all of it. Wow. And how about in terms of your nutrition? There's this idea of what we call the nourish sense, which is where when we strip ourselves of all the processed foods and the junk foods, our palate and sense of taste is actually meaningful in guiding our food choices so that we can actually meet our body's nutritional needs. So I'm wondering, how were you able to meet your nutritional needs based on growing and foraging everything for yourself? And did you feel more in tune with your innate bodily wisdom after this? I would say so. I'm a strong believer that we don't need a bunch of food scientists and nutritionists in order to let the body function. Yes, it is complicated. The human body is complicated. Life is complicated. The, the intricacies of our entire web of life is complicated. But it's also gone on for millions of years. And I, I just don't think we need all this advanced information. And I think often that is actually one of our greatest demises is that we overcomplicate it. So for me, I do feel like I am very in touch with my body and what it needs. And especially in touch with what it needed this year, I didn't need blood work to be able to tell me that I felt like I was deficient in protein and fat. Mm. That was one of the hardest things to grow enough of. And that was a challenge. So yeah, I do feel like I was I was able to really figure out what I needed by feeling it out. Another thing is that the connection that we have with our food, it's so easy to not really think about it. Today, food is so convenient. We can just go to the grocery store or go to the restaurant or even go to the internet and click a button and have anything that we want in the world at our door. And it really doesn't even cost very much money today. It's so convenient. It's so easy that the reality is, is that most of us have lost a connection with our food and most of us can't fathom a lot of the ways that growing your food or having to go out into nature and forage it, we don't even imagine the intricacies that we've lost. And for me, it's partly hard to even explain because what seems so normal to me, me going out for a walk is a completely different walk than most people that would walk down the same street or the same trail. And the experiences that I have and, and the way I see things 
as a person who who looks at the world as partly my source of life, my my source of of sustenance and my deep connection, it's hard to explain exactly the, the way that I I and other people that that are doing things like this can just understand that we're connected and part of the earth and that we're dependent upon it. Just kind of put that faith in nature and not not need the internet for that information, but have the faith that if you work with nature, that it can take care of you. Well, you have a set of public vows that you've made that at first glance are, of course, very bold. And there's specific reasons as to why you've chosen to live the way that you do. For example, you're vowing to earn no more than the federal poverty threshold per year. So while most other people are striving to increase their earnings more and more and more every year, you're intentionally choosing to stay below the poverty rate. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons behind that. Some of the simple things, having a lot of money allows you to cause a lot of destruction. When you can just pass over money or swipe your credit card, you don't have to think about where those products are coming from, the impact that they have. You don't have to think about the people behind it. It allows you to disconnect. By having less money, it forces me to be a part of my community, to exchange, and just to ultimately destroy a lot less, consume a lot less. I don't think money is necessarily inherently evil, but it allows us to drastically increase the amount of evil that we dole out into the world. Mm. So that's like one of the kind of simple things. There's a whole lot of other reasons, but another really big one for me is keeping my voice independent, keeping my voice free. I see that the more that life becomes about money, the less your voice stays strong to truth, to living your actions in alignment with your beliefs. For me, as a person who does strive to be a positive example, a leader that other people can look to for positive change, I am ensuring that my voice can't be bought because the federal poverty threshold is around $11,000. I make the little bit of money that I need from some public speaking. And I don't have to think about promoting products that don't match my actual values. And I don't have to worry about people trying to buy me because you you can't. I've committed, period, to not being bought. And when you compare that to our current political scene, that's a world away. And so I try to do these extreme things where people can look at them and and politicians can look at that and say, yeah, that makes sense. And politicians could take these same commitments because they're supposed to be public servants. So I consider myself a public servant in many ways, even though I'm not working for government or have any official job, but I consider myself definitely a servant of the people. Now, if everybody were to live the way that you do, do you think we can address our systemic inequity at the same time? Because a lot of our inequities come from people who really need that financial security the most to be able to meet their very basic needs, them being exploited within this oppressive system. So if everyone were to do what you do, is there a way that we can address inequity at the same time? There's no reason for everybody to live the way that I am. And the only reason that I have to live this way is because of the system of oppression and the system of injustice. The only reason that I have to go to this extreme is because 1% of the world's population has something like half of the world's wealth. So what I'm doing is I am a counterbalance to the extreme society that we actually live in. And I want to use my life 
to really get the privileged people to basically knock some senses into them and realize, look, you have enough. You don't need more. It's not going to make you happier and healthier. And you are dependent on this world. So you need to treat this world with respect. And you're dependent upon humanity. So you need to distribute this wealth. You, you know, we need the people that don't have their basic needs met. We need to help them meet their basic needs. And so, I mean, that's really what it's all about. It's about creating systems of justice and equality. And the people who do live in the least privileged scenarios, they largely can't take the extremes that I am because they need to, a lot of them do need to meet ends meet, getting food on the table. They might have a hard time with not buying GMO foods or factory farm meat if they're living in inner city Atlanta, for example, where they just don't have the access to those things. So for me, I'm really trying to shake up the system to move that power into the hands of people that, that really deserve it and deserve to have their voice heard and deserve everything as much as the people that have, have so much while others have so little. Right. And part of the reason that you don't want to pay any taxes is also because taxes go to support the same oppressive system that is perpetuating injustice, right? So a lot of our taxes are spent in ways that also don't align with our values. And I think that's something that we really have to look into. For example, all the taxpayer dollars that are going to support war, that to me is just mind boggling. Yes, absolutely. Man, we're really deep. We're really packing in a lot here. We're deep diving. But yes, I, I mean, for me, I committed to not paying federal taxes for as long as I live. And I committed to that about five years ago. And that's part of living below the federal poverty threshold. So the thing is, I believe that our taxes are disproportionately benefiting the people who don't need those benefits. So that money is being disproportionately beneficial to the people who already have enough. And so much of our taxes are being used in ways that are contributing to climate change, that are war, which is a great system of inequality and injustice, that are pillaging our natural environment, that 10,000 species going extinct per year. Our taxes are a part of that, not a solution to that. So for me, what I've decided to do is that 100% of my media income, so my books, TV shows, things like that, are donated directly to nonprofits that are not receiving the funds that they should, the ones that are underfunded. And this year, 100% of my speaking honorariums are going to indigenous and women-led environmental nonprofits. And yet some people aren't happy with the fact that I'm not paying taxes. But I am 100% confident with this system of not paying for war and instead giving that money to the people who can really use it to create systems of justice and equality. Absolutely. And I really hope that we can shift our political climate so that we can have our taxpayer dollars be spent in those ways that actually help improve people's lives rather than disenfranchise even more people. And today, I feel like we live in a society that celebrates independence and individualism. And with that, personal financial security and financial freedom are things that are really valued. But you've decided to not have retirement savings in monetary terms, to again, intentionally live below the poverty line, and also not to have things like health insurance or other types of insurance. 
to someone who has no idea who you are, what you're doing, or why you're doing these things, when they hear this based on our societal norms and common teachings, people may think you're irresponsible or even crazy. So how did you come to the conclusion that what modern society tells us we need in order to gain a sense of security actually may fall short of our expectations of what they can do for us? Hmm. Well, one of the things that I've come to find is that normalcy is a delusion. Normalcy is just seeing the same things around you day after day, year after year, and it becomes normal. It doesn't matter how crazy things are. If you're around it for long enough, it's normal. So our society believes that what we're doing is normal because a lot of people don't know any other way. They haven't seen anything different. What I decided to do quite a few years back was always zoom out. I don't know when I started to realize it, but I realized that life is a delusion. I've read a lot of books and I've watched a lot of documentaries and I've spent time with thinkers, people that are thinking, and I don't know where it all comes from. But one thing that I realized is that most of us are just living a large series of delusions. I mean, there's the obvious delusion that we think we're sitting still when, when in actuality we know that we're like flying at thousands of miles per hour and spinning at thousands of miles per hour through the air. And another realization was in the past, we lived on this earth that seemed infinite. It, it was this place where if you tried to travel around it, you probably were going to die. Nobody could travel around the whole world and actually come back. It was a grand, giant place that would kill you if you decided to travel around it. Now, Anybody with a credit card can walk onto a plane and fly around the entire world in 48 hours and get fatter and watch TV while they're doing it. <laughs> so that is like a realization that our world is infinitely smaller than we ever thought. And it's actually a tiny place. Any idea that this is a big world in the perspective of realizing what's going on here. It's not. It's actually this tiny little globe that we have spread all across. So basically, to get back to the point, I realized that so much of our life is delusional. And once I realized that, it'll, it's just allowed me to step back and try to always look from the bigger picture, not 21st century thinking, not even necessarily what humans have thought in the last thousand or 2000 years, but trying to come back to the foundations and the basics and come at things from a blank slate rather than just what did my teacher say or what did this documentary say or what did my parents teach me or what does this current society do? Instead, just, just try to start from a blank slate as much as possible. So many unlearnings we have to do for sure. And of course, for us as humans, this sense of security is natural and is really important. You're pointing out, of course, that the conventional wisdom around how to gain that sense of security may be narrow-minded, misinformed, and that we have to take a, take a step back and get a fuller picture of what it is that we need as humans to feel safe and be secure. So how are you going about building up your personal savings and wealth in a way that brings you security? Yeah, a lot of people think that security is in money. And that's what I used to think too. My goal was to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. I'm 33 now and I've got $5,000 in an envelope. <laughs> that's all the money that I have, literally. Maybe 5200 something like that. I have no retirement fund, no Roth IRAs, no life insurance, like literally no financial savings beyond this envelope of cash. 
but I feel extremely secure. And the reason why is that I don't think that money is security. I mean, a wake-up call for me was 2009, a million people or so losing their house, their life's work, all like overnight because of a corrupt system where people just, they lost it all. When they thought they had enough to be comfortable for life. That's an you know example of the, the illusion of security through money. And that's not isolated. Sure, 2009 was the biggest time of that recently, but that's happening to people every day across the United States and, and much of the world. And so I've seen that today, money is not security. I've just seen it time and time again. For me, what I believe security comes from is relationships. Now, that relationship comes from people. I believe that people can take care of each other. Sure, health insurance has its benefits, but we existed before health insurance and 99.9% .9 of the human experience has been without health insurance. So you can, I believe that you can still exist without it. I think it's insane to think that you can't exist without it. Now, I totally understand where people are coming from. It's a difficult world to navigate, so I'm not looking down on anybody for feeling that they need it. But the reality is, is that we know that humans have existed without it for almost the entirety of human existence. So for me, it's relationships. It's we can work together. That's a big part of it. I believe the more that I dedicate myself towards to humanity, I believe that there will be people that will help me in times of need as well. Another thing is my relationship with the earth. I mean, one thing Gandhi says, the earth provides enough for every human's need, but not every human's greed. I work with the earth. I know hundreds of foods that I can forage to eat. I know natural medicines to help me. So working with the earth is another really big thing. And then resourcefulness and problem solving, those are invaluable skills. When you have a mindset that's based on critical thinking, you don't need to throw money at everything. That's what most people do. There's a problem. Okay, how can I throw money at it to solve it? What I do instead is there's a problem. Okay, how can I use the resources around me? Who do I know those relationships coming into play? For me, that's what it's all about. It's about relationships and it's about knowledge. And one you know, other thing is that embracing impermanence. I'm young and I'm healthy, so it's easy for me to say this, being in that scenario, but I truly believe that I have embraced my permanence far, impermanence far more than I ever did in the past, and that it's kind of an interesting thing, but by everything I own fitting in my backpack and being worth really just a couple hundred dollars, I am a very impermanent. If I die after this call, there's almost nothing for anybody to take care of. I, I'm very temporary. I realized that. And so I truly have embraced the fact that I am, I'm going to be alive for this tiny blink of humanity. And I'm okay with that. I'm not saying that I want to die tomorrow. I want to live, but I have embraced that. And so just the simple embracing of the fact that I'm going to die and being okay with that, you know, it's foundational to my security because there's not that much to lose when, when you believe that it's okay not just okay, it's a necessary part of life and it's beautiful. I, I think that death doesn't have to be thought of negatively at all. And again, normal, the American culture thinks of it as negative, but there's a lot of cultures around the world that embrace death. And so I, I can, I can embrace it too. 
It's really interesting. I was just talking to Dr. Chris Ryan, the author of Civilized to Death, and he discussed how many of our chronic illnesses and even common infectious diseases today are the results of what happened to humanity after the advent of agriculture, domesticating people while we domesticated animals, and also the results of our modern sedentary ways of life in urban environments. So basically, our lifespan has increased, but we've largely just prolonged the dying process rather than mm. really prolonging our active lives with full vitality. But we spend so much of our resources and frustrations and stresses trying to prolong that dying process when people are are ill already. So I don't know, this conversation just really reminded me of that. Yeah, I mean, this is not an easy topic, but it's something like, he might have talked about this, it's, it's something like 90% of healthcare goes into the last 10% of human life. And so we have to think about resources. We do live on a finite earth. We do have 7 billion people and they all deserve life as much as anyone else. Now, the thing that I came to realize recently is that, okay, humans have this desire to live. I respect that. I have a desire to live as well. Life is beautiful. You want to live it. So what we, we're doing is we're trying to live as long as we can. Now, if humans really respect life, and what we really believe in is the, the, the right to live a good life, the problem is there's a major hypocrisy. And that is that our current desire to eke out every last year may mean that there will not be life for future generations. Because of our quest for every last day and every last year, we're burning so many resources that we may be taking away the very life of future life. And our current generation is not more important than the next generation. Everybody who's had a children, well, not everybody, but most anybody who's had a children knows that. They can feel that with their own personal kids. So if you can feel that with your own personal kids, you have to think beyond that and think, okay, if we're robbing the years of life of humans in the future in order to have that life now, isn't that just a giant hypocrisy? And isn't that actually not valuing life trying to get every last year? Isn't that actually a decimation of life rather than a creation of more years? So much to think about there. And I definitely feel that we have a very dominant view of a fear of death rather than embracing impermanence. And it is a difficult conversation to have because when we have loved ones that are ill, we just want them to be well as well. So there's lots to uncover there. And I think most of the time what guides our decision making in life is health and happiness, right? So we often make decisions based on what we think can make us happier and more fulfilled and healthier, whether immediately or in the mid to long term. You have none of the things that our mainstream culture encourages people to have in order to achieve this illusory sense of freedom to have or to be able to do anything that you want. And yet your attitude, actions and outlook on life all make it seem as if you have it all. And this again reminded me of Dr. Chris Ryan's book, Civilized to Death, the part where he talked about how European settlers, upon meeting the American Indians, called them savages because they acted like the European nobility with their senses of unconstrained freedom freedom and autonomy, but just had a level of material poverty that that didn't really make sense to the Europeans. And along these lines, 
How do we reconcile that dissonance between what we're frequently told we need to achieve in life for wealth and the freedom that we desire and the reality of happiness and freedom that you're living for yourself? I love this conversation. I feel like we should do this like once a year. I know. You're one of my favorite people to talk to. Well, this is definitely, I mean, and honestly, I, this has been one of my favorite podcasts to be <laughs> on. And, and I mean, just the last half hour, I mean, this has been, I really enjoyed this. So definitely. We should make this a yearly event. Now, that last question, whew, that was quite a bit. So a couple of things. First of all, we are in a rapidly changing time on Earth. In the past, life wasn't changing that much in just one lifespan. So you could pass things down easily from generation to generation, and they would still be the same. But just think about our generation, and then the generation before us, and the generation before that. That information passed down can be so wildly incorrect. And so much of the mainstream knowledge out there today is based on things that really don't apply so much to the world that we're living in today. A few generations, the world was this tiny place and, and it wasn't that long ago that there was a seemingly infinite amount of resources and everybody could have enough. But we know that doesn't exist today, so we can't keep acting like it does. So I think one thing is constantly questioning that. Is that the world we live in today? Or is that information and that mindset based on a, a world that, it, that doesn't really exist that way today? And that is challenging. Another thing that I want to say that personally that I've learned is my focus is very much on living a happy, healthy life. I want to give a big asterisk to that is, and that is without screwing over other people. A lot of our current society is living a happy, healthy life at whatever means it takes to do so. And what that often means is taking away health and happiness from others. For me, I can only live a happy, healthy life if I know that I'm living in a way that's not reducing quality of life for other people. That would be my actions being in alignment with my beliefs. And so I think, again, Gandhi, I mean, he's one of my greatest inspirations, but I think it was also came from him was that it's something like freedom or happiness comes when your actions, your words, and your thoughts are all in alignment. And so for me, if I'm trying to be happy, but I'm doing it in a way that's causing suffering to others, that would not be my actions, my beliefs, and my words all being in alignment. And thus, I would not be truly happy and truly free. For me, it's so much more complex to achieve true happiness and health. I do think that I am a pretty happy person. I also think that compared to the level of happiness that is possible, I've barely scratched the surface because there's so much practice. People understand the concept that it takes practice to become good at a sport or an instrument, subjects in school. But it's the same with things like happiness. It's the same with basic life skills. You have to practice them in order to have it. And so happiness is a practice. It's something that I've been practicing for a very long time. And, and I think that's one of the main reasons that I'm, that I'm able to be happy today. And then the last thing that I want to say is that at the same time, I think no matter what, life is hard. Whether you are barely scraping by to have enough food and pay your bills or you're a millionaire who looks like you have everything you need, life is hard no matter what. I think the human experience is hard. And 
hard is not necessarily bad and suffering is part of life. I think that's very much a Buddhist thing that suffering is just a part of life, but I believe that it is. And so I think no, no matter how much enlightenment one attains, an enlightened person would know that life is always going to be hard. There's always going to be challenging things that are thrown at you. And so for me, it's about how you, how you wade through that, how you deal with that. So I'm not always happy, but when things are challenging, for me, it's about staying balanced and not exacerbating the problems and coming back to, to balance. And that allows me to, to basically wade out those storms, those challenges, and stay in basic equilibrium and allows me to bring myself back into a state of happiness rather than getting into a place where you bring yourself down so low that then you end up turning to alcohol or things like that. So for me, happiness is a matter of, of staying in balance and also acknowledging that without the suffering, you wouldn't know elation because elation can only exist as a comparison to things like suffering. So for me, when life is hard, I actually really appreciate it because I can actually look at that moment and say, because I'm in this valley right now, when I get back to that peak, that peak is going to feel amazing, but only because of where I am sitting right now. Well, Rob, I'm always really inspired learning about what you're up to, the initiatives that you're taking on and, and supporting. And to me, you're the perfect example of someone who lives in our modern society with its same broken and inequitable systems. But at the same time, you're defying it all. And you're someone who exists in what we call our modern civilization, but have at the same time liberated yourself almost entirely from its false indoctrinations and expected norms. Do you feel like you're there, that you've achieved your best self and the ultimate life that you want? Or what other things are you struggling with now that you're working on? Well, I am complete. I just did a retreat, just a very simple treat at Deer Park Monastery, which was started by Thich Nhat Hanh. And that was one thing that they said, you are complete where you are. And I, I did already know that, but it, it did hit home a little bit more. I am complete. Yes, I have goals and I have things that I haven't done yet that I desire. And every day is not a good day. And, and there's things that I don't always like and that I want to improve on. But, but yes, I am there. I am complete. And I feel really good about life. And then, yeah, but definitely I'm still striving for more. Like one thing that I'm currently striving for and I actually was on your Instagram page yesterday, and it is very in alignment with something that I just saw. And that is that I want to switch over to only wearing natural fiber clothing, not plastic clothing like polyester and nylon and such that is made from oil byproducts and that pollutes the earth. And I saw you had on someone from Fiber Shed, Rebecca. And so that's actually... so. That's something that I'm working right now is trying to not be a plastic human anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And to go along with really fully embracing that impermanence piece. So when we're gone, we can fully biodegrade and re-enter the nutrient cycle of our earth. And finally, as you said, you want your life to be your message. So what exactly do you hope our listeners and your followers walk away with when hearing your story and the decisions that you've made? So there's no doubt that what I'm doing is extreme, you know, as we said, I, I acknowledge that. What I don't want is for other people to feel overwhelmed with the level that I'm taking things. 
my hopes is that they're inspired, that it gets them to question their lives. It gets them to think about how their actions affect the world. And if they are feeling, if that does create a difficult feeling inside, maybe depression or anxiety, then my hopes is that they'll act on that. And they, they can look at what we talked about and they can say, okay, well, what can I do? They are only themselves. They're in the place they are in, in the time they are in. They can't be me. They can't be somewhere else. And, they, and so they have to embrace where they are, who they are in the time that they're in. So my hopes is that they just start to think about what is it that they want to do in order to bring their actions in alignment with their beliefs and, and live the life they really want and set goals. You know, I would say write things down, write down what it is that you want out of life and make some short-term goals, things that you can start doing quickly to step in that direction. And then long-term goals, things that you know you can't do now, but maybe by working a bit at a time, you'll be able to get to those goals in the future. Could it be part of the deal? Cause she's sweet as sugar But wait until it rains She can turn very bitter flame Spitting words in the atmosphere They breathe in monochrome White colored criminals Will reap just what they sow And now the fields are barren Where do we go? From here, from here, from here, from here. Since this is your round two on Green Dreamer, you're actually going to get our second version of our concluding question. So, what is a book or article that's shifted your understanding of sustainability? Joel Salatin, I've just read one of his books, uh, Folks This Ain't Normal, and I love what he has to write about. <laughs> Absolutely. Joel Salatin. What is a product, service, program, or initiative you wish existed to help more people live more fully and regeneratively? Well, actually, with my year of growing and foraging all my food, so many people said that they want to learn how to forage, but they, they don't know how. So I came up with the idea of Find a Forager, which is a website where you can go to and find someone in your area that can take you out and teach you foraging. So I actually, start, I actually got that domain. And if there's anybody out there who is passionate about that and wants to do it, they can contact me. And if they want to take on that task, I can basically show them how to do it. And we can help other people to learn how to learn the plants in their area. That's awesome. I would love to learn how to forge as well. So that's definitely something I'm going to keep tabs on. What's a policy change or nonprofit's work you feel like will make the most systemic positive impact for a healthier future? As much as possible, making sure that all voices are represented. So for me, that would be putting as much of our resources into indigenous and women-led organizations. I think that would systemically change everything if they had an equal voice and equal resources. What do you do or say to yourself when you're feeling burnt out and unmotivated? Ooh, well, that's for me is to turn off the computer, <laughs> turn off 
any devices. I used to have a, a cell phone, so it would be turn off that, the TV, any of those things, and just be present where I am. Ideally, if possible, going outside, breathing fresh air, spending time with the plants. But whatever, whatever it is, even if that doesn't exist, even if it's winter in a cold place, just turning off all those devices and having a quality dinner with family and friends, just being offline, taking time offline. That's the biggest thing for me. Mm. And finally, what advice would you give the you just starting out in your eco-conscious lifestyle journey and professional path in this area? So that would be me in about 2011. That would be just remember, nothing is black and white. Early on, there were some times where I, I bought into some environmental messages that were very black and white, that there's only one right way of doing things. And it's not that way at all. The world is a complex, intricate place. It's all shades of gray. There's nothing black and white. Green Dreamer, to learn more and stay updated on Rob's work, you can head to www.robgreenfield.tv and you can also follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Rob J. Greenfield and on YouTube and Facebook at Rob Greenfield. All of this will be linked in our show notes as well that you can find at greendreamer.com. Rob, thank you so much for joining us again today. It's always a pleasure. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? I definitely want to say next time we should try to do it in person. Hopefully I'll be in LA this time next year. So yes, hopefully keep I'll me posted. In person. And as far as more wisdom, I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like we did. I feel like we got enough in there. Thanks so much. It's been it's been a true pleasure. Been mining for gold, but all I see is still so cleverly concealed. Cause all that glitters isn't always gold Where's the credit in what they sold? Glide in the silver line in rivers far away It streams in the youth as they line up by the gates And now the fields are barren Where do we go? Where do we go? From here Could it be part of the deal?